Well, good morning. I'd love for you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, we'll get there in a moment, and you know we'll have it on the screen as well. Most of our sermons are part of a series. This is one of those standalones, so hope you'll understand that and interpret it thusly. Just a standalone sermon this morning. We'll begin with Advent uh, next week as we lead up to Christmas Eve. Doesn't that just sound good to say? We'll have a Christmas Eve uh, Eve service here with communion and candlelight at 4 p.m. on that day, December 24th. I want to begin this standalone sermon with a statement and then follow that statement with a question that I'd love for you to answer internally. Now, our 930 service, a few of them answered it out loud. That's okay. But I uh, just want to make sure you get it right. And just so hold on to it inside of you. It's not just a statement. It's actually an assertion. It's a claim, if you will. Here it is, the statement. God won't give you more than you can handle. So my question is... Is that true or is that false? This says, I, I said don't answer it out loud. Come on, people. This, uh, this statement is an assertion and it's a claim. It's it said by someone who is a good friend or loved one. They're well-intentioned and they want to provide some perspective and comfort. Isn't that good? You've probably heard it. You've probably had it said. It's spoken to someone who's going through some, uh, facing some type of adversity, trouble at home, a problem at work, a financial concern, a health complication. This is when you hear someone well-intentioned, likely with a loving heart, will say to you, God won't give you more than you can handle. So if you are here at Fondren and you sit under our teaching, me or any from the teaching team, I don't want you to be inflicted with some wrong expectations about living. We were at a staff retreat just outside of town at Lake Cavalier at a friend's house and we had a guy there, a really smart guy, smarter than any of us, facilitating a discussion about team building and personal dynamics of inter, uh, interpersonal relationships. And he said something I've heard before, but it's been a long time ago, but a long time since I've heard it, but he said that oftentimes resentments are tied to our expectations. That's true, isn't it? What you expect. You, when you expect too much or you misapply an expectation, it can so often lead to our resentments. And I don't want you, I don't want to set you up for that to be a resentful person, resentful toward loved ones, resentful toward God. I've said before, starting a couple of months ago, said it a few times since then, that sometimes we put God's name on promises that he never made to us. And so I want to say, I want to be clear God won't give you more than you can handle is not in the Bible. What is in the Bible is a collection of stories of people who were given more than they can handle. Consider the disciples post-resurrection. Jesus had been crucified. He, he had been risen. It was early on talking about expectation management. Here's what Acts 5.41 tells us. It says that the apostles left the Sanhedrin. Then Sanhedrin was the rulers of the day. It was, they were called into the principal's office. That happened to any of y'all? I made a living out of being called into the principal's office, but I never responded this way. I usually left like this. But uh, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They had been given more than they could handle. Paul on the road to Damascus, early, early on in his conversion, he hears this voice, this prophetic voice, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul 
many times over was given more than he could handle. It was over his head. Hebrews 11, one of the great chapters in all the Bible, we call it the faith chapter. It chronicles women and men who followed hard after God and they, they saw God be their redeemer. But yet, while there was rescue, while there was deliverance, while there was great miracle, it leaves room, and I hope you will leave room, this allocation in your philosophy, your worldview, your understanding as you walk in this world of faith. You're not walking by sight, you're walking by faith. And it says that these men and women, that some of them faced torture, that they refused to leave counting it glad that they could look forward or gain the other resurrection. Some, Hebrews 11 tells us, faced jeers and flogging, chains and imprisonment. That they faced death by sword, by stoning, by being sawn in two. Some, it says in Hebrews 11, they wandered about in deserts and in mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They wore sheepskin and goatskin. They were mistreated, they were persecuted, they were destitute. The Bible is a collection of stories of people who were given more than they could handle. And so, where, from whence does it come? We can't just blame some type of head-in-the-sand philosophy of religion or some prosperity gospel, there is a passage that could be easily misconstrued. I don't have it on the screen. I want to tell you the passage and quote it loosely. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that no temptation comes to man except that which is common to mankind. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But let's understand we're not talking about troubles in life. That passage is addressing temptation and sin. Everybody's tempted, aren't they? Everybody faces temptation. I want to get real with you this morning. You may not respect me after my vulnerability, but I told the first crowd at 930, I'm going to tell you that I'm, one of my great temptations is Krispy Kreme donuts. It's a weakness that I have. A lot of you know this, but there is a sign. It's a flashing neon sign that says, hot now. And I drive by Krispy Kreme sometimes. My temptation leads me there. And one of the things I know about temptation, true of me and you both, is that we uh, have a tendency to drag God into our temptation. So I, sometimes, and this has happened before, I put a fleece before the Lord. I'll say, God, because that's in the Bible. I'll say, God, if there's an open parking space, then it's your will for me to have some donuts. So I drive around, and sure enough, after seven times around the parking lot, there's a space right there. It's God's will for me to have donuts. I try not to do this too much. You guys know that I love my dog. This is Kiffin. He's pictured on our website. This is him recently riding around with me. You'll see the white face. He's getting older, but he loves to be with me always. And a couple of years back, Susan took him to the vet. Susan always takes him to the vet. I never take him to the vet. She does the bad stuff. I do the good stuff. And she told me, she came home, she said, you know, Robert, the vet said that Kiffin is like 15 pounds overweight. And this is going to be a future health concern. I said, hey, I got this. I'll talk to him. <laughs> and I did. And listen to me, Kiffin didn't care. <laughs> he found the food source 
He looks at us and finds other food sources because we're weak. We get weak in the knees, right? He was eating, and here's the thing. Kiffin did not care. He did not want to be delivered from temptation. He's a slave to his appetite. He lives in a world of appetite gratification. You and I do not. You and I should not. To anyone getting beaten up, battered by temptation and sin, you are not a slave to your appetite. So I want to speak to you today that God is a deliverer. Look at me. I know. I know. And some of you know. And you are more than just one of these creatures. None of us really are as cute as this creature. But we have, more, we have better moral character and fiber. And we're not just here to gratify our appetite, to be a slave to it. Paul wrote that, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, to the church at Corinth. I don't know if you know this, but Corinth was a port city. There was a lot of trade and commerce. It was teeming with temptation, and he wanted the Jesus followers not to leave the city, not to forsake it, not to abandon it, just the opposite, to be a part of it, to be central to it, to love and bless and serve it, but to understand how to live in a city teeming with temptation. When I was in high school, my youth pastor looked at me and said, hey, we're going to Las Vegas. I'm like, we can't go to Las Vegas on church dollars. And we went to help a church plant. I didn't know there were churches. I was just young. I didn't know there were churches in Las Vegas. It didn't, didn't seem to fit. I envisioned things like, you know, the worship team being led by Elvis impersonators and girls in bikinis, you know, wearing placards, uh, holding up posters to the, the, the hymn number and, the, you know, slot machines out in the foyer where we gave our tithes and stuff. And Vegas, to me, was a place in my mind of just sin and temptation and teeming with it. And so it was in Corinth when that letter to first century Christians was written, there was greed and idolatry and promiscuity and you name it, and it was right there. And the letter's written to them to say that God, he will deliver you. In fact, it says he will give you a way out. And aren't you glad this morning that God does that? There's no need to fall victim to the temptation and the sin. That God, the temptation that you're experiencing is common to mankind. And he will provide a way of escape. Can I tell you, it's true in my life many times over. Some of you know this, but God will provide many things to help us overcome temptation and the yielding to sin. He'll give you a group of people, of friends. I talked to a young woman this week who's talking about her group here at Fondren Church. She said, we're helping each other be the best version of us that God has created us to be. We're walking together and dealing with some real stuff. God will give you a circle. He'll give you a group of friends who will walk with you no matter what sin or temptation you're dealing with. He'll give you opportunities. Listen, he'll give you opportunities to confess and to come clean. I sat Friday with a woman in our church, and she told me her story. It's playing out in local headlines, but there is a story of someone who was getting away with something and getting away with something and getting away with something. And so as a pastor, I want to tell you, I want to tell you this is my pastor's heart coming out here. But if there's a pattern of lying or deception in your life, if you're cutting corners, if there's financial dishonesty, if you're thinking that other people are looking the other way, I want to encourage you today 
to come clean and to get help. Listen, there's a warning bell of conscience within you. God gave that to you. It's mystical. It's mysterious. It's marvelous. It makes you miserable at times. But there's the prompting, convicting work of the Holy Spirit. I know it. It hurts. It's real in my life. And whenever I get off the path or I follow after something that doesn't bring life to me or my wife or our children, our family, or our church family, God convicts me. And it's then, early on in the then, that I need to confess and repent in turn. And so, God will not tempt you above what you're able to bear. He will provide a way of escape. Let's get back to our question. Our statement, our assertion, our claim. Will God give you more than you can handle? Yes. Yes. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Sounds like a little bit of rhythm and maybe redundancy there, isn't it? Paul's, Paul's bringing it strong. And just like the heart of God, when you're blessed, what should you do? Be a blessing. When you experience comfort, what should you do? Comfort another. Pass that on. Let me be clear. I know I'm opening up a can here. But let me just say, Paul's words are very deliberately chosen here. That God does not, he, is, he doesn't rejoice in evil, and he is not the author of pain or evil. Paul says, not that he's the father of evil, the God of pain. He's the father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Not the God of my comfort, okay? Somebody picked up on that. Not the God of my comfort, but the God of all comfort. So if the goal is to be comfortable... If the goal is for you, how often do you pray this? Lord, you have an event, you have something coming up. Lord, let it go smooth. Lord, I pray you smooth it out. Lord, just go smooth. You know, can I just say, God probably doesn't want it to go smooth. Look, almost nothing in my life goes smooth. And I think nothing worthwhile has ever gone smooth. And I don't know that that's, I mean, that's not the God we serve to go before you and make everything smooth. I know there's some verses that can make you think that way. But God is not the God of your comfort. In fact, get out of your comfort. Live an adventure. But God is the God of all comfort. And when he comforts you, he wants you to turn around and comfort others. Here's the thing. I'm going to ask you for your help in just a moment. We did it at the early service. I want you to engage with me for a second. You see, our scars and our wounds that we often want to hide, ironically, paradoxically, Those are the stories we tell and the bridges we build to other people. Hey, look, your successes and triumphs, that only generates envy. Way to go. But it's your scars and your wounds, ironically and paradoxically, 
As you tell those stories, you build bridges to other people. And that's, as one author would say, the fellowship of troubled hearts. And can I say, that's part of the community of following Jesus. For any leader here who's inflicted with any wrong idea that we're to be pretty, put together people, sitting in rows, occasionally attending an event, and that that's church, that's wrong. We're called to move out, to look at one another, First Peter 1, to look at each other, to face each other, not, not in a row, but to face each other in a circle and genuinely love each other from the heart. And that means that you would share your scars and your wounds. And so, at the risk of a little bit of discomfort, I want to ask you to help me. Very deliberately, I've chosen this for us this morning. I want you, in a moment, to stand if one of the following has affected you in your life. And when you stand, I want you to stay standing. If you have been hurt by the death of a loved one, would you stand? If you know the pain of divorce or betrayal or a broken relationship, would you stand? If you or a loved one suffers from depression, panic attacks, anxiety, some type of phobia or mental health concern, would you stand? If you know the pain of miscarriage or the struggle of infertility, of wanting children and not being able to have children, would you stand? If you've been abused or assaulted, physically, sexually, or emotionally, and you have the courage, would you stand? If you've been vocationally unhappy, fired at work, or in a struggling dead-end job, would you stand? If you have ever felt, or even today, felt like a failure as a parent, would you stand? If there's something unnamed in your life that either now or not too long ago, was such a pain and such a problem that you wondered if you could get through it, would you stand? Just something unnamed, would you stand now? And as so many of us are standing, would you look around the room? No judgment on who's standing or not, just look around the room. And as you're seated, as you're seated now, I wanted to say to you, the reason I'm compelled to do that is one of the great illusions from the evil one is that what you're going through that's beyond you it's so easy one of the illusions is to think that I'm one of a few you can read all the Christian books in the world that talk about struggle and toil and pain and sacrifice and vulnerability right all these best-selling Brene Brown books about vulnerability and transparency you can read that all day but I'm telling you, we're inflicted and it's sort of a natural part of our sin nature, the illusion to think that we are one of a few. And you just saw, and we just saw at 930, same thing. You and I are not one of a few. And I am one of those standing. In fact, I'm standing more than twice. So the scars and the wounds that we so often want to hide, ironically, paradoxically with the power of the cross become the stories we tell and the bridges that we build straight from 2 Corinthians 1 and that's the way God has designed our lives to be. 
You know, we, we're all uh, messed up a little bit, most of us anyway, with social media. It's, it's a technology, it's a tool, I'm on it, I use it, I limit it, pros and cons. But it's just so glaring today. I was thinking this week about what people don't post on social media. You know, picking up grandma from prison today, hope third time's a charm. This is me getting fired at work. Yep, those are security guys walking me out. Girlfriend broke up with me by text. Here's a screenshot of the text. We don't put that on there, do we? Look, when you're handling it, social media is good. But where do you go when you're not handling it? I have an answer. Here. Here, like we are a people, this is where you come. Like, can we just take the illusion of we're perfect saints and we have it together and we're not, we're, we're not hypocrites? Like, can we just put that at the center and smash it like an idol of old and say, this is where you come. This is the fellowship of troubled hearts. Jesus, brilliant man. At times, a funny teacher, John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Can I get an amen? John 16, 33, chapter and verse, in this world, you will have trouble. John 14 comes before John 16. Aren't I good? I went to seminary. And in John 14, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. In this world, you will have trouble, huh? Do not let your hearts be troubled. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but you don't have to have trouble in your heart. Something can happen in you so great, so mystical and spiritual and profound that whatever's happening outside of you doesn't have to get the best of you, okay? Second Corinthians chapter one, as we close, verses eight through 10, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers. That's a common expression. You know, every teacher, I'm sure I've got a few, every teacher, preacher, writer has kind of some go-to expressions. This is one of Paul's. We would not have you ignorant. We don't want you to be unaware, Probably because they're ignorant and unaware. But anyway, <laughs> brothers, of, we don't want you to live in darkness of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Let, let me ask you if he was ever in over his head, if God gave him more than he could bear. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, by the way, anybody want to translate that? That's like suicidal thoughts. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. By the way, that resurrection thing, kind of huge. Kind of huge. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. That is God. That is our God. He has delivered me. He will deliver me again. And even if it doesn't end like I want it to end, there is an ultimate deliverance. And I put my rest, my hope in that. Will God give you more than you can bear? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at the language. Look at the language. A sentence of death, utter despair, that's beyond in over your head. But that's the place, and I would say the only place where you and I can learn that our adequacy doesn't come from us, 
but it comes from God, which is who we should experience and point people to. Don't tell them about Fondren Church. Don't tell them about the bald-headed preacher. Don't tell them about your favorite writer. Don't tell them about that man or woman you podcast. Tell them about Jesus because he is the one who is the ultimate deliverer time and time and time again. But don't resent him because he will put you in over your head. And he's the father of mercy and he is the God of all comfort. As we close, how do you experience God's comfort? I'm going to say a couple of things that are just so like common that I don't want to lose it on you. Prayer. Read Psalm 13. Read Psalm 55. Read Psalm 73. Read the Psalms. Because most of them aren't entering into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. No. Most of them are, how long, God? My throat is parched from crying out. By the way, do you pray out loud? People think you're crazy. That's okay. Don't live to please people. Cry out to God who created you, who you are created for who has the ultimate say on your life, your soul, your character. Cry out to him. A friend of mine, I've mentioned this, preached this in the 930 service and had friends from the second row who know the same guy, know his ministry. But there's a man named Tim Downs, Tim and Joy Downs. They travel with marriage and family conferences. He writes books. He's written some phenomenal marriage books. I've stolen some of his uh, ideas. And he has, for the last 15 years, written crime capers, murder mysteries, some works of fiction and novels, uh, Novels about bugs and how bugs can solve crimes. Really smart guy. Tim Downs is his name. And years ago, many, many years ago, Tim, before I was even a parent, Tim and Joy's daughter, Erin, had been diagnosed back in the 80s with leukemia. And I was visiting with Tim one time at his home in Raleigh, actually in Cary, North Carolina. And he pointed to this oak tree and he said, that's that tree. The tree, this beautiful tree on a hillside. I would go there to cuss God out loud. Not just the Christian cuss words, but like the really naughty cuss words. And I would let God have it. Because the pain and the fear and the uncertainty got the best of me. And that's the place where I would cry out. Cry out. Don't grumble, but you can groan. When you grumble, you talk bad about God. You don't talk to Him. You talk about Him. And you talk about other people. And you talk about the church and the pastor. Don't do that. That's a sin and God will get you. (laughs) Don't grumble. But you're called to groan. And can I say, let your prayer of groaning be heard. All right? I'm giving you a green light. I got you just for a couple more minutes. You may or may not be paying attention to me, but I'm telling somebody, you have a green light. Like I'm speaking the voice of God to somebody today to groan and cry out to him. He's so much bigger than what you think he is. Like, I don't want to live with a manageable deity anymore. I don't, because that's not God. God, I don't understand. But it's a God, he's a father of mercy and the God of all comfort. I'm standing in front of you testifying to that. And it's true. 
We also, not just prayer, but scripture. Right behind the baptistry wall, what an honor last week to baptize. Right beyond that wall is my office. There's a chair there. There are books and it's just a place for me to retreat. I get kind of paid to do it. But I can sit there and whether I got paid to do it or not, I want to sit in that chair with the book open. I want my mind to be informed with the truth of God. And man, listen, if you're just reading your phone and links on Twitter, you're not nourishing your soul or your mind. Now that leads me to some good things. But it's not a life of credibility or substance. And it's hard to get Isaiah 26.3 on that one. God will keep your mind in perfect peace if it stays on Him. And I want my mind to be informed with the truth of Scripture. And that's when God comforts and He'll comfort you through other people. He will. Anybody know that story? Have you been comforted by somebody? Just their presence. And not to knock our young people. Praise God for our young people. But man, to see old saints, to see people that read Ecclesiastes 12, it gives you some science behind aging. Well, don't read it. It's pretty depressing. (laughs) Remember the Creator from the days of your youth, somebody old said. But to see faithful servants who've been through suffering and to walk through it and to have them speak into your life, pray that you have one. We got some at Fondren and we need more. And you know what? I want to be one of those old saints. I want to be one of the old saints, anybody that'll listen to me, to tell them of God's faithfulness in my life. He's a Father of mercy and God of all comforts. As our team comes, would you pray with me? Would you in the silence... ask God to help you be willing to share your scars and your wounds to be open to the very reality that it's redeemable I'm old enough to tell y'all that the things I used to worry about I don't worry about them much anymore and I want to be real enough to tell you this morning there are things that I worry about now that I hadn't been worrying about in my life But what I'm saying is there's some things you're worried about right now. You're not going to be worried about them. That problem is going to be solved. You're going to move on to something else. But you'll always have something else. And there's going to be some times when it's way beyond you. And may you be a story that your adequacy is not in yourself. But your adequacy is in God, your Father, who is church the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Would you say that aloud with me? He's the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. One more time. He's the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Would you stand? And this altar is open today and we are down front to pray for you if we can. You may want to respond to something that you heard directly today. Or it could be something else that God's stirring in you. Would you be obedient at this time? to stay with us, to pray, to sing. And some of you come forward today. Uh, Follow the prompting of the Spirit. It'd be an honor for us to pray over you. You be obedient to Him in these moments uh, that we have.